I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Celebrity Memoir Book Club. I have a question for you, Claire. What is Celebrity Memoir Book Club? It's a book club where two BFFs get blackout drunk and talk (laughs) shit about all of the kids in town. No, it's not. It's a regular book club where two very sober people... Talk mad shit about all the kids in town. The kids in town, though, are celebrities. We are reading celebrity memoirs because you know what? If you pay for it, you get to think whatever you want. And sometimes art is bad. So here's what we're doing. We're going in. We're reading the books. We're giving you all of the details. These are not necessarily reliable people. Celebrities don't 100% of the time tell the truth. I actually am of the camp that there is no truth. We might be bitchy. We might be snarky. If you hate that, I would love for you to save yourself now and just get out. But if you like that... If you like that, do you know what you can do? A, you can stay on board. And B, you can leave a five-star review and tell us how much you appreciate it. And here's the thing. If you don't want to leave a five-star review, if you mostly like this podcast and have some complaints, there are two-way channels. If you want to get a hold of us, email us, DM us. There are plenty of ways to give your thoughtful feedback without leaving it in a literally one-sided place. I want to thank our five-star viewers at the end of this podcast. For now, let's dive in. Claire, if you were to write a memoir, how would you title this week's chapter? Revenge is a dish best served in a bowl. Okay, tell me about the bowl of revenge. So basically this weekend was a good friend of the pod, Sophia's 30th birthday. We gave her a 30th birthday weekend wedding. We just treated it like it was a wedding. We celebrated Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We had a rehearsal dinner, a party, and a goodbye brunch. And it was so fun, but... At the Saturday party, she had like a backyard party that did get consumed by a larger next door party who just had bigger speakers. It was a real, if you can't beat them, join them situation where we had to go and join the party. And what I had brought to Sophia's as a gift was three different bags of popcorn. Yum. Three different flavors. I had white cheddar, kettle corn, and movie theater butter. Okay. So I was like, well, I should bring them to the next party because I think you should always come to a party with a gift. Of course. So I went to the party I found the kitchen area where things were stocked and I put my popcorn down in the middle of the kitchen island and then the host of the party took them and put them in his kitchen cabinets. He's going to eat them. I'm sorry, but that was party popcorn, not breakfast popcorn. That was for the good of the night, not your personal stock. Okay, so how did you get revenge? Well, based on what the listeners of this podcast think, I do know where this man lives. I'm really considering going back to his house and asking for my popcorn back and being like, well, if it wasn't eaten at the party, it was meant for the party. I will take it to a new party. Well, I think you should do that because I thought he was hot and I would like to reopen that door. Okay. Listeners, second question. One, let me know if you think I should go get the popcorn back. Two, let me know if you think knocking on a door and asking for popcorn back is a good way to get your friend a date. This is why I'm single because I'm like, what better way? (laughs) I was so mad, man. I kept walking around the party and being like, I brought popcorn. You'll never believe where it is. (laughs) Gone. You can't have any. It's not for us anymore. Ashley. Yes, Claire? If you had a memoir, what would this week be called? This week would be called Old Bitch Shit. I am falling a fucking part, okay? I've been doing old bitch shit all week. First of all, my being is severed. I have a cold from partying too much and I I wore uncomfortable shoes and my feet are just shredded and I twisted my knee from running in boots. I'm like, I'm just not in a good place right now physically. And then also I went on a date last week 
where he invited me to this cool speakeasy, but I didn't know it was a cool speakeasy. I thought that it was just a bar. It was the name of a bar. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to type this name of a bar into Google Maps and find it. It's not that fucking hard. And I couldn't find it. And he told me he was there and I was just pacing out front and it was a taco shop. And I was like, am I being stood up in the weirdest way right now? This is such an aggressive thing to like add a business to Google Maps to lie to me and say that it exists and it doesn't. (laughs) And I can't believe someone would do this just to hurt my feelings. And then I texted him and I said, I'm sorry, I'm just not seeing it. (laughs) And he said, oh, it's like a speakeasy. You have to go in and you come in through the vending machine. And I was like, through the vending machine? Sir, I'm sorry that I thought you were taking me to a bar and not the inside of a vending machine. And then the cocktails were delicious and it was like a cool place. But in my day, bars were there. I just feel like it was a real reckoning with my age. I was like, I am physically unwell and mentally losing my shit. Can I tell you, that speakeasy situation is the kind of thing where if I was on my period, it would make me cry. I would just be like (laughs) looking at Google Maps and looking up and being like, I just don't know the answer. Speaking of going in deep diving places, this week on the Patreon, we are spelunking into the cavernous career that is Miley Cyrus's. Because this week we are reading Miles to Go. Claire, should we get into this week's book? Yes. This week is Miles to Go by a 16-year-old Miley Cyrus and who's the ghostwriter? Hillary Lifton. Here's what I want to say. Here's a quick up top notice. A note. All celebrities have a ghostwriter, and that goes for comedians, it goes for politicians. Do you know, supposedly Elvira did not have a ghostwriter. She wrote that whole thing herself. So Elvira didn't, but if you're writing a book where you're capitalizing on your current success, you have a ghostwriter because you do not actually have time to sit down and write a book. So a 16-year-old Miley Cyrus did not have time to sit down and write this book. A lot of them don't, but we still feel like we can learn about them from what they tell and how they tell it because as adults, they're signing off on what goes out there. Right. And then you have books like Jennifer Lopez where we're like, we don't know that she ever laid eyes on this book. But it's still an interesting look at the PR machine behind her and what they want her image to be to the public. Here's what I'm going to say about Miley Cyrus. When this book came out, she was 16. She did not get the end say in her career at that point. So we're going to look at this book and not hold it against a literal minor, but we are going to use it as a way to look at what does the PR machine behind a Disney star want to put out about a 16-year-old girl who, at the time this book came out... It was 2009, so she was about to do that Nicholas Sparks movie. She was about to start transitioning out of Disney star, and so this is a look at what they wanted her career to look like and what they wanted that transition to look like and the way that they were going about damage control of what they thought transitioning out of child stardom had looked like in the past. That's our thesis. We feel like this is very much a book about how she's not like the other Disney stars. She's not a Lindsay Lohan, for example. She is a good Christian girl and her destiny is to be hopeful. (laughs) So should we get into Miles to Go with Miley Cyrus? Let's hit the road. was born November 23rd, 1992, which is only a few weeks after me, which is why I've always thought of her as a colleague. Yes, you are. And this book did come out 2009 when she was 16 years old. So I do think it's important to start with what this book looks like. Okay. This book is triple spaced. 
large print, 260 something pages. Some lines are written in bold, like it's a magazine feature. There are little lists on notebook paper throughout that feature her seven notes about something an ode to the song Seven Things, her big hit. There's also a lot of asterisks used throughout the book that are then in like a handwritten font. Not a handwriting, a handwritten font. She adds in funny little asides. Funny asides and also clarifications that at certain times I found actually extremely helpful and I wish a lot more people had done this. There was one part where she's talking about some classic country stars that she like knew growing up. So she would mention them and then on the side be like, this is the guitar player for the Allman Brothers. I don't know. I kind of wish more books did this. Another aside that I really appreciated and liked is she goes, I'm only 16. And then she did an asterisk and on the aside she said, well, that is until my 17th birthday. And I was like, oh my God, so true. (laughs) That is so true. You are only 16 until you're not. And that's universal. And I think that's what we love about Miley Cyrus. In many ways, she's just like us. I also want to say about this book that for a book that had an extremely specific PR purpose, I actually think it was beautifully done. For a teen book, it reads fun. It reads like the books you would have read in seventh and eighth grade. And I do think that if I read this as a 16-year-old Miley Stan, I don't think better. I think if I read this as like a 13-year-old Miley Stan, I would have loved and like treasured this book. So let's get right into it. We'll start where Miley starts. She says to say sixth grade was not a good year would be the understatement of the decade. She starts sixth grade with auditions. Fifth grade, she had gone to Canada. Her whole family moved to Canada because her dad was working on a show that was shooting in Toronto called Doc. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. So he had spent a couple years traveling back and forth. And then that year they were like, it's just too much. We never see him. We're all going to move to Toronto for this year. And she was homeschooled that year. So sixth grade was her grand return to her school in Tennessee. But if she wanted to go do pilot season, she would have to miss the first couple weeks of school. And it was a real toss up because she's like, I'm trying to reestablish myself in this school. If you miss the first couple weeks, you can get off on a really bad foot. But I also am, you know, 11 years old and I have dreams of being a star. So what's a girl to do? And she went to the auditions, obviously, and came back. She had like one friend and then shit hit the fan. She says, the first sign of trouble was the teeniest, tiniest thing you could possibly imagine. We were standing near our lockers after math. I made a joke and the leader, she'll be MG from Mean Girl, rolled her eyes. That was it. A tiny gesture. It went by in a second. But this was sixth grade. Everything means something in sixth grade. What did I do in response? Nothing, of course. I mean, if you've been through sixth grade, you know how it goes. If I had said something straightforward, like, what's up with the nasty eye roll? MG would have just said something patronizing, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'd be humiliated, a feeling I loathe more than anything. So I acted like I hadn't seen it. I put it out of my head. But then it gets worse. She calls this operation make Miley miserable. She felt that the girls at school were absolutely out to get her. And it seems like maybe they were, but she was just truly miserable. They turned her one friend against her. They sent her like threatening notes. They didn't let her eat lunch. I mean, it sounds bad, but she does talk about it like it was the end of days. On the one hand, in sixth grade, it is. It is. I do think if you were in sixth grade reading this and being bullied, you'd be like, you're right. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. I'm so glad that Miley Cyrus also went through it. It's also funny because you're like at 16. I don't know that you have learned yet that it wasn't the worst thing that's happened to anybody. It is interesting to read it from a 16 year old via an adult ghostwriter's perspective (laughs) because she does keep acknowledging this book is full of caveats about how she understands that her experience wasn't hard and it wasn't actually the worst thing. She's like, I understand that there's world hunger and pandemics. And it's like, you have not seen pandemic yet. Very early on in sixth grade, she gets a call about potentially playing Lily, the best friend in a soon to be hit Disney show called Hannah Montana about a girl who has the best of both worlds. She's a rock star and a regular girl. She has an agent. She sends in a tape for Lily, the best friend, and immediately Disney calls and is like, we want you to send in a tape for Hannah Montana. 
his regular name at the time was Chloe Stewart. Her dad also, when he first read the script for Lily, he was like, you're Hannah. That was a whole thing where her dad was very adamant that this was a role that was absolutely meant for her. They send it back and immediately Disney's like, never mind, you're too puny is the word. Hannah Montana's supposed to be like 15, 16. At the time, she was 11, pretending to be 12. And I think she was petite for 11. Yeah. So she's heartbroken and goes back to school where it gets worse. She tells stories about one, they like lock her in a girl's bathroom for an entire school period and she's just trapped in there. She gets this letter from one of the mean girls being like, if you come to the cafeteria tomorrow during lunch, we're going to beat the shit out of you. And so Miley is obviously scared. She calls her friend crying. Her dad overhears the phone call. Her dad tells her mom. Her mom in this book is the ultimate protector. Is this ultimate stress of if I tell my parents, they'll embarrass me harder. The only thing worse would be getting snitched on. Do I want to get my ass kicked or do I want to be a narc and then get my ass kicked for being a narc? So she begs her mom not to call anybody. She goes to school the next day and I guess the mean girls come over and are like, stand up, Cyrus. And so she stands up to get her ass whooped. And she says one of the girl's parents was in the lunchroom just watching it happen and supporting it. Could that be possible? Could a sixth grade girl's mom watch her daughter beat another girl up? This is the thing is the principal came in before any physical altercation had occurred. At that point, it was just some girls intimidating her. And I do feel like parents are fucking crazy. Yeah, that's true. I do feel like there are just bitchy parents who are like, look at my alpha daughter owning shit. (laughs) Also, she does talk a lot about how she was in this small town in Tennessee. She grew up on a farm. She was very isolated and everybody knew that she was Billy Ray Cyrus's daughter. And they would come up to her, she says, and bully her and be like, how does it feel to be the child of a one hit wonder? You're going to amount to nothing just like him. It's like, well, I guess he's amounted to something because you know who he is and you're bullying her because you know who he is. But she says that for a large part of her life, her only friends were her siblings, which I do think set her up for fame pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) So she's miserable at school. And then finally, she gets a call back from Disney months later. And they say she's one of the finalists to be Chloe Stewart. She flies out to LA. I don't even think they flew her out. And she thinks that she's one of the finalists. And they walk in to the auditioning studio. And there's 50 girls auditioning. And she's like, okay, I thought I was a finalist, not still in line to be one of a billion. They go home expecting news. No news comes. Way later, they get another call being like, no, no, now you're a finalist. And she's like, hell yeah, let's go. She goes back to LA. 30 girls are waiting to audition. And she's like, okay, so what does the word finalist mean here? So they go home. This time they're pretty much like, all right, this is a lost cause. This is not happening. Then they call again and ask her to go out again. The only light in her life is that she's a competitive cheerleader and she really likes cheerleading. If she misses another couple days of practices, she's off the team fully. And she says having to choose between this final audition and cheerleading is the hardest decision she's ever made. And I believe her. My mom said it was up to me, but she wanted me to have a perspective to make an informed decision. She said, honey, are you sure? I think you're amazing, but the chances of you getting this role are slim to none. You have no experience. We already know they think you're too small and too young. You have the rest of your life to do this. If you go, you may end up sacrificing cheerleading for nothing. My dad's advice was simpler. You have to go. This part was meant for you. And she also does have a good point that she was not going to be a professional cheerleader, but she did want to be a professional actor. But I will say to be like a kid who wants to be a professional actor, what does that even mean? Obviously, she chooses the audition because we're reading her book about having been Hannah Montana. She said this time there were only two other girls in the room. It was Taylor Momsen, who had been in Spy Kids 2. Maybe you've heard of her. She was then in Gossip Girl and also famously Cindy Lou Who. 
Yes. And then another girl who I guess went on to nothing. Also famously the lead singer of that band. I saw her in Hoboken one time. With the band? Mm-hmm. Her guitarist in the band was actually my brother's guitar teacher at the Hoboken guitar shop. Wow. And I saw her getting off the path and I looked up and I said, that's a cool girl to be in Hoboken. She had waist length blonde hair and big old Doc Martens and like a long coat and was grumpy looking. And then I went, oh, she's Taylor Momsen. <laughs> she is grumpy looking. So she lands the role of the Hannah Montana. I honestly cannot fathom what would have happened if Taylor Momsen got that role because we've seen the way that she like forced them to turn Jenny Humphrey into like a goth princess and that would not have flown on the Disney Channel. Wouldn't that be funny if Hannah Montana became like a punk rocker? Like an Avril Lavigne type star. And she was like, in season three, she starts writing her own music. In season four, she's a skater girl. And in season five, she has a heroin problem. The band (laughs) breaks up. (laughs) So she gets the role. It's a huge deal. They go out to do the pilot. They weren't ready to quite pick up the family and move yet because as we know, sometimes a pilot gets made. If you're Leah Remini, there's a pilot and then nothing. But if you're Hannah Montana, there's a pilot. And then they're asking you a week later to come back and shoot 13 episodes. So obviously she's so excited. She goes, getting the part did change everything. And suddenly and irreversibly, I was moving forward and leaving the past behind. But I didn't dare forget the struggle. <laughs> Later, we'll find out that it's all about the climb. There was a reason for it. I brought that girl with me and she reminds me to be compassionate, to not hold grudges, to be supportive, to be there for others when I know I'm needed. My dad likes to remind me of Newton's third law of motion, that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For all I'd struggle that year, for all the hours I sat alone at lunch or retreated to my room writing songs, there was a balance. Damn, imagine if every slightly bullied tween in America got a TV show. I was 11 when I first auditioned. Now, after a year, I really was 12. Now, amazingly, incredibly, impossibly, the part was mine. (laughs) They really did a beautiful job of just like shinying up the 20 words that she wrote down on a piece of paper to be like, what was your life like? And so she just jotted some stuff down and they were like, okay, how can we make this sentence into a chapter and a half? I do think one of the key points of this book is to show that she is grateful. When they're getting ready to shoot the pilot, they also are casting the rest of the show. They had to make sure everyone has chemistry. They're looking for the person that's going to play her dad in the show. And her mom was like, well, what about Billy Ray? And they end up being like, actually, wait, what about Billy Ray? And there were two finalists that he didn't think that he could compete against, but because of his chemistry with his own daughter. And he himself is a name. He's not nobody. He's not nobody, but I don't think that he would have been a finalist in that room if his daughter hadn't already been cast as the main. Do you think that what he brought was like a huge hit? Because she talks about by the end of the first season, Brooke Shields and Dolly Parton had been guests on the show. And I do think that there's like a Disney magic where you always have to have something for the adults. Yeah. And I do think throwing the adults that bone of Billy Ray... I guess I just don't think they would have thought of that. It was a good idea and it worked out. So she has a lot of insecurity about people thinking that she got the role because of her dad. Meanwhile, her dad got the role because of her, essentially. I do feel that way about the Lil Nas X remix. He was only on Old Town Road because of Miley Cyrus and he should thank her every day for those royalties. So that's the thing that I wonder is if he's a little embarrassed sometimes. So I get the vibe from this book because she talks about her childhood and we'll get into it later, growing up with all of these country celebs. I think maybe he's pretty prominent in the country world and just only had one crossover hit. Okay. Because Aki Breaky Heart was like a national hit. It does seem like he was constantly on the road. I mean, I don't think it's weird that he was in it. I think it makes perfect sense. And I don't think that he necessarily got it because of her. I do think that he was brought into the conversation because of her. And they both did a very good job at those roles. Hannah Montana was behind my time. It was not really quite my Disney Channel era, but it was like right after it. So I've seen probably every episode of it. And it is good. I liked it. I mean, Rico was a hilarious character. 
After the pilot gets picked up, the whole family moves out to Los Angeles. They actually move out to La Cunada, which is, I think it's like the San Gabriel Valley. It's not close. Once she got the role, obviously, they switched the name from Chloe Stewart to Miley Stewart. And she says a lot of people get confused because they don't understand how they could be Hannah Montana, Miley Stewart, Miley Cyrus. And then, of course, who is Destiny Hope Cyrus? So Destiny Hope Cyrus is her birth name because the dad had a vision that it was going to be her destiny to bring hope to people. And can I say he was spot on? <laughs> For some reason, this is like when I get Alzheimer's and I'm remembering one thing about my childhood, I'll be can like... Can I say, whenever you say Alzheimer's, you really like go off script. <laughs> I've never heard you say it normal. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder if you think it's actually called old timers. <laughs> you say it. Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. <laughs> Anyway, my point is, if I only know one story on my dying day, it'll be the story of the fact that Miley Cyrus was born Destiny Hope Cyrus, but then because she was such a smiley baby, everyone called her Smiley Miley, and then that got shortened to Miley, and then she just started going by Miley Cyrus, and now that is her name, legally. I agree. I agree that that'll be the last thing you remember. (laughs) So she gets to LA with her mom, and her mom's like, the first thing you do when you get to LA is you say thank you. So she drives to the Disney executive's office to say thank you. And when I walked into Gary Marsh's office, a look of horror crossed his face. What happened to you? He asked. She had dyed her hair a weird blonde color. I had had two teeth pulled. And oh yeah, the braces. I had braces. It was not a pretty sight. So the hair went back to brown. The braces came off. And I got a little retainer with fake teeth to fill in the holes while my grown-up teeth grew in. This is my first perk as a TV star. Having an excuse to ditch the braces. And then she goes, after they, quote, fixed me, there was still more to accomplish before we started shooting the series. While we were taping the pilot, Disney let me know there was just uh, one more tiny little thing they wanted me to do. A concert. Yikes. That's the handwriting. That's right. They wanted me to perform a concert as Hannah Montana in front of a crowd of people who had no idea who I was before the show had even started. Double yikes. When the big night came, I was a nervous wreck. So she is doing this free concert at a mall to people who have never heard of her or Hannah Montana or Miley Cyrus. And I do think that that's a really fucking scary thing to do. It was a free ticket. They just were like, there's this up and coming Disney star. Come see the show. And people love free shit. So they went and she, according to this book, crushed it. People were up on their feet, having a great time, dancing along to songs they'd never heard before. I found out later that Gary Marsh, an exec at Disney Channel, turned to my mom and said... Didn't take her long to settle in. I will honestly say to be able to do that, to be a 12-year-old who is just doing a concert in a room full of people who've never heard of you and to pull off rock star is hard. Yeah, because I've seen 12-year-olds do performances. It's bad. They suck. <laughs> I want to interrupt the program to go on to the next chapter. Okay. So we weren't going to get into the death of her grandpa, Poppy, but it's my first list that I want to read in full to the audience and to you. As we mentioned before, this book is full of lists of seven things. And this is seven things my pappy used to say. I'm going to read them to you, Ashley, and just yes or no, whether you know what the fuck they mean. Number one, the more you stomp and poo, the more it stinks. Yes, I get that. Okay, I don't. Two, persistence is to the quality of the character of man what carbon is to steel. No, that feels like it has a lot of science involved that I don't quite understand. Three, good for the goose, good for the gander. Yes. Four, wherever you go, there you are. Yes. A trying time is no time to quit trying. Okay, that makes sense. You're as full of poop as a Christmas turkey. I guess. Really? How much poop is in a Christmas turkey, Ashley? I guess I didn't know that there was turkeys on Christmas, but I like get what he's saying with it. Seven. I love you. Never heard of it. (laughs) After shooting the pilot, her pappy dies, who she was very close with. And this goes on to affect her throughout the rest of the book. She is really heartbroken. She feels like it's a relatable trauma, but people just don't talk about it enough. 
the day after the show premieres, her and her family go to Disney World. Mm-hmm. There, a group of people come running up to her and ask for an autograph. This is the first time it occurs to her that this show that has gotten picked up has been watched. We were on our way to the roller coaster when six 13-year-old girls ran up to me and asked for my autograph. No lie. I did an internal round-off backhand spring backflip for joy. Sure, I said so hyper-enthusiastically that I'm pretty sure I scared my very first fans who were taller than I was. That was the moment I realized Hannah Montana wasn't just the new job that I loved. There were people out there watching us, real people who recognized me on the street. I wasn't just Miley Cyrus anymore. I was carrying Miley Stewart and Hannah Montana around with me. It was weird. It was cool. I was 12. I think that that is the exact reaction you should have. The next bit is about how she's like, haven't you practiced your signature in school all the time? Like I was so excited to finally use the signature I've been practicing my whole life. And I did grow up practicing my signature. And I do feel like this book is supposed to get you to know the real Miley Cyrus as opposed to Miley Stewart as we follow the actress, not the character on for the rest of her career. But this book is so written like Miley Stewart isn't just like Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus is just like Miley Stewart. Like she's just a regular girl who was doodling her signature in the bathroom while getting bullied and now she's a celebrity and she cannot believe it but she's still a normal girl just like you but that's what I mean by this book was written brilliantly because there are those little details that are so well written I think that the co-writer was a YA author and I think she did a really good job of putting a story to this book because if she had just used the actual landmark moments it would have been JLo's book like if we were just weaving from I got a job I moved out to LA with my family she weaves in these relatable teenage moments that makes it more of a book to me no it reads cute the way like a 12 year old would think a 16 year old would talk yes Then she goes, well, I think I'm ready to get back to the very beginning now. It's tough to remember so far back when you're an old, wise broad like me, but here I go, way back. So then she talks about growing up as Billy Ray Cyrus's kid, and I do think here we see his impact. She talks about when she was two years old, her dad was doing an Elvis Presley tribute. The lineup was like Aretha Franklin, the Jordanaires, Eddie Rabbit, Brian Adams, the Sweet Inspirations, Tony Bennett, all singing Elvis songs. When she was two years old, she ran out on stage during the finale where her dad is singing Amazing Grace and everybody joins him. And she says all of these celebrities just like hot potato this baby down to the end of the stage where she finally gets stuck at Tony Bennett. And when he finally gives her to his dad at the end, Tony Bennett goes, you've got a special little girl here. When dad tells the story, he says that Tony Bennett said it like he met it. Like he was really saying, man, she's got something really special, a certain charisma. She connects with people. That's my dad for you. Always embellishing his stories in my favor. I honestly don't even know if that was an embellishment. I think a lot of kids are afraid of noise, crowds, public, et cetera. And the fact that she gravitated towards the spotlight like that is saying something. A lot of 12-year-olds could not go out and perform in front of a group of people. So she did have an air about her. And then she talks about all the people she grew up with. This is a list of celebrities that I'm just going to name drop because I think that that's a lot of what this podcast is, even though I do not know who they are. Ed (laughs) King, who was the Leonard Skinner guitarist. How cool is that? Says Miley. Johnny Neal, a former keyboardist for the Allman Brothers. This is cool. Carl Perkins, the great rockabilly pioneer, you know, blue suede shoes. And they taught her that it's not about killing the rabbit. It's about enjoying the chase. And that's a metaphor for the music industry. That was based on literally them hunting rabbits. So, so this is her remembering all of the music industry and musicians she grew up knowing. And she said, no single one of those encounters made me who I am. Not one of them convinced me to be an actor or a musician. But our hours and days add up. Little moments attach themselves to other little moments and collect into big dreams. A sunset, a walk, a few small words of wisdom. We become what we experience. That is good advice about loving the chase. Because one thing that we talk about all the time with the entertainment industry is if you're doing it for the end goal of success, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. But if you enjoy what you do, like we just like doing comedy. We like podcasting. We would do this podcast for free. And we have. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is what it's about. I'm okay with hearing that advice from the old country stars and the old folk singers, not from Miley. If Miley had said it's about enjoying the journey, which she does say a couple of times about like how hard she worked and how this is all she'd ever hoped for. I'm just like, shut the fuck up, Miley. You were 12. Also, she goes back and forth between being like, I worked so hard to get here. And that was the fun part. And also being like, of course, they would never book me as Hannah Montana. I had no experience. This is my first time ever. But like, she doesn't do that. That's just the ghostwriter is confused. <laughs> I do think that getting that advice from an old folk singer means something. Uh, yeah, I don't think <laughs> it's wrong advice. It's just there's certain people who shouldn't say it. But that's it. why I like in this book, it's not even from her. So then she gets into, quote, my little breaks. And it's about how she got into showbiz at all. And it started out, they had a family friend who was going to audition for a commercial and Miley went with and Miley got the part. From that, she got an agent. And then she says she got to be in a couple episodes of her dad's show, Doc. She got to be in Big Fish, which was... A Tim Burton movie. Starring Ewan McGregor, Jessica Lange, and Danny DeVito. And then from there, she like kind of caught the bug. She starts auditioning for things. She auditioned for but did not get Shark Boy and Lava Girl. But she did say she met Taylor Lautner and they became lifelong friends. And I am like, I would love to check in on that. I would love to fact check that. Where is Taylor Lautner right now? He could be here. He's so small. Is he? He's living his life as a side table for Where a low-to-the-ground couch. Bulked up to play a wolf. Did he not get big then? He got whiter. Did he stay big or no? I feel like he's coffee table sized. <laughs> if you saw him from a bird's eye view, you'd be like, oh, you could have a TV dinner on that man. <laughs> a little bit like Danny DeVito shaped. He's like if Danny DeVito was like muscular and racially ambiguous. Okay. Is he not? He's German. Did you know that? I've looked it up. Remember when Taylor Lautner dated Taylor Swift and everyone was like, the Taylors, how cute. And I was like, this is perverse. Do you know who they are like? Andes. I hate an Andy and an Andy together. No, I was going to say in terms of people who have silhouettes that should not be dating. Oh. Priyanka and Nick. <laughs> yes. They similarly are two people with proportions that are so fucking different <laughs> that they should not stand in a room together. They were not meant to exist on the same plane. I feel like if they spooned, they would be like reverse magnets and they would just repel each other physically i feel like they exist in a field where one is always far away and one is always up close they're like <laughs> walking around and they can't beat the diameter of distance like those haystacks that they painted at different times of year yes that is taylor and taylor and then priyanka and nick they were not meant to meet <laughs> they're from different timelines so then obviously then she starts auditioning she's in doc and then that takes us up to present day where in sixth grade she applies for and gets she applies for <laughs> auditions for Hannah Montana among other shows and then ends up getting Hannah Montana. Okay. Does she not sort of apply herself? No. Back to the world of Hannah Montana. After season one, they knew the show was successful, but she didn't quite realize how successful. And I don't think Disney realized quite how successful either. And so they book her a tour opening for the Cheetah Girls. And she felt like she was an accessory on this tour. She was like, I'm opening for the Cheetah Girls. It'll be cool. No one there will really know who I am. People don't really watch an opening act, but it'll be chill. It turns out people loved her. People showed up early to watch the opening act. And it's also her first tour and she is touring stadiums. Like, yeah, she's the opener, but it's still a stadium tour. I think this is the difference between having a show business family though and having just a mom from Louisiana who wants you to be rich and support the family yeah is that when they went on tour her mom literally said I don't care if we make no money we have to get a separate bus for Miley because Miley is 13 years old right now and her mom and her sister and her tutor all toured on a separate bus and this is where she has a health scare so it's her first 
year of being a working child. She does the season, they go on tour and she just like can't stop barfing one day. It's not the flu, it's something else. They go to the hospital and it turns out she has tachycardia, which means that my heart rate speeds up and the rest of my body can't keep up. It means that that part of my body works harder than it should and goes too fast. The type of tachycardia I have isn't dangerous. It won't hurt me, but it does bother me. My heart rate increases a lot just from going up a flight of stairs. It's worse when I wear a wig. I get hot, my body tries to cool down and my heart goes too fast. So then she talks about the importance of overall health and valuing her health over everything because she has this heart condition that puts her a little bit more at risk. And she starts to get into weight stuff. She sort of brushes these issues, but doesn't quite dive into them at any point because like, how could she? That's not what this book is for. And she doesn't have the perspective to do that. This isn't an actual get to know Miley Cyrus, the flawed human being who has been used by the entertainment industry. It's get to know Miley Cyrus, the person we're going to continue to sell to you in a new way you haven't thought of yet. So I think they're trying to make her seem more adult by being like, she's had these problems that you've all had. Like she was insecure about her weight for a while. She says, my diagnosis stopped me in my tracks. On that tour, I felt like it was really important for me to look great. I wasn't eating much. Some days I'd eat one pop tart. That was it. Not good. I've always struggled with my weight, but when I found out that I had a hole in my heart, there was no way in heck being skinny was worth sacrificing my health. I was scared. Like lots of girls my age, I can be self-conscious about my looks, but it was immediately clear to me that I'd much rather be healthy and normal-sized. I do not want to belittle her experience, but she's always been notably thin to me. (laughs) I also think it's hard, I mean, for all women in Hollywood worse for girls in Hollywood. But I also think there's like another even niche of girls who get on TV before they've gone through puberty. Yes. And then to watch your body change in front of millions of viewers, you almost want to maintain a prepubescent figure, which is impossible. Exactly. I've always said, my personal belief is that what happened to Lindsay Lohan, among many things. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things is, do you remember how mean we were to her for having big boobs? Yes. And we all thought she got a boob job. And then she starved herself down to nothing with the help of drugs. And then we were like, oh, I guess those puppies were real because now they're gone. (laughs) I do think it's interesting that she even mentioned struggling with weight. Yeah, I was shocked to see that that was in there. I think it definitely was a tactic to be more adult while also being like, we're just like you. Yes, I think it was a way to be a good role model for children over the ages of 11. Mm -hmm. I do think that they were like, we want to connect to real 16-year-old girls, especially knowing that she moves into a Nicholas Sparks movie, which is a PG-13 film. I just think that there's so much of Disney that would rather not even acknowledge that people are people. So the fact that they went down this road of being like, listen, we know that kids have eating disorders. Let's mention it and make them feel less alone is kind of like a nice chunk to throw in here. Obviously, there's not anything useful about it, but there's not anything damaging either. It's not like Portia de Rossi's book. So then she goes into this chapter called A Normal Day, quote unquote. (sighs) And I do actually really want to talk about it. After the tour with the Cheetah Girls, it was back home and back to work on the set of Hannah Montana. The first morning home, I woke up at our house and got somebody with a driver's license to help me get to set for my 8 a.m. rehearsal. We broke for lunch at 1230. And then after rehearsal, I headed to a photo shoot for the cover of 17, then went home and worked on a song that needed to be ready for next week's recording session. I had dinner with my family, except dad, who was out of town. Then I logged into Miley World to read my fan mail. Then it was to bed, sleep, rinse, and get ready to repeat. It was the second season of Hannah Montana, and it was safe to say my life had changed. That is an extremely busy day for a 14-year-old. She doesn't say how late rehearsals go, but you want to say eight to six. Does that sound right? Yeah. Which feels like conservative because film days are long days, but I guess on a rehearsal day, it'd be shorter. But so she's putting in a full eight hours. And then doing a photo shoot. And then working on music. And then having to do fan outreach. I guess she didn't have to do fan outreach, but I do think that that is why she is where she is today. It's just a lot for a 13 or 14-year-old. 
And then we have another perspective chapter about how her life didn't affect just her. It affected her siblings too, about how their lives were uprooted as well. And she like gets into their personalities and how much she loves them and blah, blah, blah. This is when she gets in family section where she's just a normal girl who hates to party. She talks about how her whole family are homebodies, even her parents. When he wasn't on the road, he was home with the family. And she has this interesting part about how when she was little, she didn't get why he was gone all the time. But now that it's her, when her little sister Noah says, why do you have to go? She goes, because when you miss school, it's your loss. But when you miss a day of work, everybody in the crew, everybody on the crew's families, they're all affected. They have to work. If you don't show up, you screw over a ton of people because they're all counting on you. And I do think that is true. And it's just a lot of pressure to put on a 14 year old, I think. We saw this with Stephanie Tanner in Jodie Sweeten's book where she would be a sick kid and have to pull it together because if she wasn't there then they had to put off a day of shooting and there are a lot of people whose jobs get fucked over when the star doesn't show up i think that's a lot to ask of a child me too she talks about how her whole family are homebodies and you know when her dad wasn't working he was home and they hated going out and she goes i guess my idea of a good party is someone getting their face smashed into a cake not getting smashed i don't drink and i would never smoke i always say that for me smoking would be like smashing my guitar and expecting it to play I'd never do that to my voice, not to mention the rest of my body. My mom wants us to be careful not just about smoking, but about secondhand smoke, too. I mean, I hope someone read this and chose to not pick up a cigarette that day. (laughs) Reading that chunk kind of bummed me out because I think Miley was really unfairly branded another breakdown celebrity. I don't think she ever had a breakdown of any kind. I think that she had more controversial moments that weren't shiny and Disney. And I think that she fought really hard to get out of this Disney image. But I feel like chunks like that, like the purity ring content and the no smoking content built the case for breakdown when she was smoking, when she was more sexual by so adamantly staking herself against it by someone else. So adamantly staking her against it her doing it felt like much more of a betrayal. If you look at her breakdown era, it's just a teenager partying. I think people just put such pressure on these kids to be something and it really bothers me personally. I've always said we need to stop this so that Ashley can have a break. (laughs) I need to sleep at night. Okay. I get really sad for these kids because first of all, they didn't necessarily consent to it. They became famous underage. Like Miley Cyrus is a role model, sure, in a lot of ways, but a lot of the things that she says and does and ever did are not negative things. Like she's not out there being like, fuck you, fuck your mom. I hate everybody. She was out there being like, I kind of like to party. And also I still think think we should end homelessness, which she mentions like 10 times in this book. She hates the homeless. (laughs) Her and Caitlyn Jenner are teaming up. (laughs) People have this psychotic expectation of celebrities to set examples for children. And I'm just like, what we actually need is parents to have conversations with children. If you see Charlie D'Amelio holding a vape and you think, oh, I should vape, then you should be able to sit down with your kid and be like, actually don't. It's not Charlie D'Amelio's job to parent your child. Yeah. So then she gets into how busy her life is. She says, when Hannah Montana proved a hit, life sped up for me and my whole family. It used to be that if I only had an hour to shop at the mall in Nashville or wherever I felt rushed, now I saw just how much I could accomplish in just one hour. I could give an interview. I could write a song. I could learn calligraphy. A free hour was now a huge amount of time to myself. It was a luxury. You start to respect time a lot more when people constantly want to take it from you and you've got to decide what to do with it. I really think that this is an unacceptable way for a 13-year-old to feel about time. 
On the other hand, I really hate how aware I am of the passage of time. I try not to feel like I'm on the clock. I like taking my time. If I'm getting dressed for the day, I want to make sure I'm comfortable. So what's happening now is season two of Hannah Montana is in progress. She's also doing a double album. I'm sure you guys remember it's called Meet Miley Cyrus. And it was a double album, one that was Hannah songs and one that was Miley songs. So on one hand, she's being worked to the fucking bone. But on the other hand, she is truly achieving her dream, which is being able to make music as herself, Miley Cyrus, and put that out with the crutch of this big fake pop star too. And she's getting to write music that feels personal. I don't know how much of it she's writing. So I was like, and I went home and I wrote a song and I'm like, okay, maybe. But she talks a little bit about performing as Miley and Hannah. And she's like, it's cool because as Hannah, I'm just performing as Miley. I'm really like getting to be myself on stage and connect with people. And then when she ends up touring, doing that tour as Miley and Hannah, like I'm sure she was busy to death, but she also had that really nice experience of being like, okay, it's not just Hannah that they like, they like me too which is validating. So we get another chunk here about how much she loves her family. It honestly is gratuitous. I get it. She loves her family. And the story is her mom is the mom who doesn't care about celebrity. All she wants is to keep her family safe and together and do whatever it takes to make them happy and protect them. I will say I'll take this opportunity to talk about the fact that as we always say on this podcast, no one is a child star without their parents' encouragement, permission, and potentially force. So many kids want to be actors and singers and whatever. A lot of them aren't. Some parents do take their kids to auditions. I will say because they're a showbiz family, I think it was a little bit different because it was just kind of there a lot of times. Like she was just on set with her dad a lot. So being in the show wasn't that much of a change of routine for her. But I feel like for this whole thing where her mom is the most wonderful, angelic, could do no wrong. I'm like, at a certain point, someone did something. That brings me to this next phase of her life where she really is famous. And I'm like, who was pumping the brakes on your life? Because this was too much. Yeah. Now she's with Nick Jonas. So we enter a chapter about how meeting Nick Jonas, who she calls Prince Charming throughout the book. She never names him by name, but the internet does name him by name. They met at a pediatric AIDS foundation. I hope they weren't giving the kids AIDS. I wonder if Bono was there. He loves AIDS. Bono loves AIDS the way Miley loves homeless people. Yes. Keep it going, they say. (laughs) So they met June 11th, 2006. Right away, they liked each other. For a while, it was long distance. And then eventually he moves into a house a few blocks away from her. They bonded over both being hardcore Christians. On the first night, they talked on the phone until 4 a.m. And she said, I'm a hardcore Christian. He said, that's what we call ourselves in my family, too. I thought it was a sign. I also want to say that we've skipped over a couple of Psalms already in this book. There's a lot of Christianity in here. There's a lot of Hebrews 9-11. Did they do it? If you read the Bible, you'd know. Ecclesiastical 4-6. I'm Jewish, but I don't think that's it. Psalm Kardashian West. That is a hard word to say. I think that's actually a very bad name for a person. Me too. So she talks about being in love. It felt like the whole world stopped. Nothing mattered. They end up just like breaking up for a while. She's like, we just ended up taking a break. We get a lot of like, I loved him. I was obsessed with him. We get no details. And I guess it is a young relationship. So there are going to be no details. What do you mean? She says that they played basketball in Nintendo all the time. That's the detail. I mean, that is like a high school relationship perfectly written. But when they break up, I was like, what was the impetus here? Like there had to have been some drama. And I'm annoyed that we didn't get that drama. But she does say all of the songs on her album are about him. And then she does put seven artists I admire. Do you guys want to hear the seven artists she admires? I do. Beethoven. Same. Picasso. Oh, he's good. Stevie Wonder. Also good. Celine Dion. Very talented. John Eldridge. I don't know who that is. Antonina Armato. Oh, she worked with Miley. And Metro Station. Oh my God, (laughs) my favorite. Okay, that is a top tier list. 
I'm going to make a playlist tonight. This is so funny. She talks about she got to perform the national anthem at the 2007 Easter egg roll at the White House. And she goes, I wasn't nervous. The fear and anxiety that I once felt in auditions and early performances, it was gone. I grew out of it. I think everyone does at some point. You realize you have one life and you have to live it fully for the moments you have. There can't be room for nerves. True. Would you say that that's not true? I will say I don't think it's true that most people grow out of being nervous. That's true. I do want to read another list. I know we just did one. I want to read seven things I want to change about the world. And world hunger. Good one. Homeless people without the comfort of a snuggly bed and family to go home to. Great. I wonder what she wants to change about that. (laughs) Mean online message boards. School bullies. Not everyone having clean water. Nasty, hormone-infested, chemical-laden, inorganic food. Laden? Laden? Yeah. I don't know. And seven, bring peace. And I actually, okay, I feel like I have accidentally spent this whole thing gushing over this stupid fucking book, but she does stand by a lot of these things to this day. Oh, bringing peace? Who has turned their back on I bringing gonna peace? I was going to say, okay, can I say the water stuff? She goes and like protests pipelines and shit like Are that. Are you thinking about Shailene Woodley? I thought Miley did that once too. I'm pretty sure she like, remember that when she brought that homeless person to an awards show? <laughs> He had been homeless for like a week and he fully had a house to go back to. She was like, I met this guy. He was working at Starbucks. He had no house. He's going to accept the award. And then his mom was like, yeah, he was allowed to live here. He just said he didn't want to. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm saying she does care about these things. I don't think she knows how to care about them properly. But I think that she like posts about clean water and stuff. Brava. God, I forgot about that homeless dude. He was just like a pissed off 18 year old who was like, I'm going to make it in LA. And then literally within five days, he met Miley Cyrus and was at an award show. So I guess he did. He was right. I wish I had his charisma. Okay, so then something horrible happens. I will say, tragedy strikes. Acne. One morning, I couldn't get out of bed. It was near the second season of Hannah Montana. There was a lot going on. She wakes up and she has really bad skin. To her credit, there was a lot going on. So she's recording more music. She's doing another season of this show. She's getting ready to go on tour again. Like, there was a lot going on. Yeah, and I get what it's like to feel awful she goes i would like to say it was exhaustion or the pressure of new fame but that's not why i couldn't get out of bed that particular morning the truth was i couldn't get out of bed because my skin looked awful i didn't believe i was beautiful nothing could change that fact and she goes in to talk about the way she just completely lost perspective around this time she was surly at work she was a little bit difficult to deal with she says and kind of an aside beauty is the enemy and i would love a think piece agree or disagree i've just never heard that statement before beauty is the enemy I agree. But so she's like, I feel awful. And then I guess she got over it. Well, no, because then she started doing good. She started trying to do good deeds and she would go to hospitals and sing for the children. And then she saw that they were happy even though they were dying. And she was like, I should maybe stop being such a fucking bitch all the time. She said, what's worse than acne? Cancer. Cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then she makes a new best friend on one of her hospital visits, this girl named Vanessa with cystic fibrosis. And she is like, okay, if Vanessa can be in a good mood i should maybe stop being so surly and she says vanessa is the one who gave her perspective seven things i'd like to change about myself one how loud i am two my frizzy hair three my bad skin four my love for cupcakes five my toenails six my way to an honest self seven my snorting laugh my way to an honest self wait change my way to what I don't know. Frizzy hair, bad skin, how loud you are. That makes me sad. Those are beautiful things about you, Miley. You did change them successfully, but... She mentions a lot in this book about being too loud and how she's like the loudest kid in class. And she was like... And I'm like, I think people were pretty mean to you about that. As a kid who always got in trouble for talking too much. Yeah, but she became famous from it. 
Maybe I would have become famous for it too if I hadn't been beaten down too badly. Maybe I was bullied worse than Miley. Does anybody ever think about that? No. At the end of the day, we went to a dermatologist. It did end up getting fixed. But remember, everything you're seeing is photoshopped. If you ever thought, I want to look like Miley Cyrus, remember Miley Cyrus doesn't look like Miley Cyrus. And I was like, so true. She's like, I'm on the set. And the AD comes up and is like, hey, I had bad skin too. I looked around and it occurred to me that everyone has a history of obstacles. I knew I wasn't the only teenager with acne, but I also got it that people live through it. You deal, you survive, you grow up and build a career, and you remember those big little hardships. They make you human. Don't mock her. That's facts. <laughs> so then she goes on tour as Miley and Hannah. And so this is a really big moment for her because she's getting to be herself for the first time. She's not acting. She's not singing as someone else. She's like getting to be Miley Cyrus on stage. And in this show, there's the Hannah performance is a lot more like bombastic and poppy whereas Miley's a little bit more rocker chick. And there's this one part where the dancers throw her up in the air and she ends up crashing to the ground. They threw her too high or something and she almost broke her leg. She was terrified to get thrown again. And they were like, we can't cut the toss from the show because Hannah, it's just like very in character for her to get thrown into the air. But then she remembers when she's dreading being dropped and afraid to go on stage, she remembers a coffee mug she saw with a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote on it, do what you are afraid to do. And so I did. I kept going. I just did it. I am obsessed with the fact that she quotes a mug. <laughs> That's a real Ashley move. She could have been like, there's this Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that I know of. I saw this quote that stuck with me and said, she's like, no, no, no. There was a mug that I'll never forget. <laughs> On this tour, it's from October 2007 to January 2008. And so she turns 15 on the tour. On this tour, which I think is really interesting, her mom steps up again, like with the Cheetah Girls tour, and behind her back says that Miley will not do any press. And Miley is like, although I was frustrated that I did not have the say in my career, I see that she had my best interest at heart. And I'm like, yeah, she did. Because her schedule on this tour was then to wake up around 10 a.m., get ready for the day's show, do a meet and greet. Then the opening act would go on, which was the Jonas Brothers, and then she would perform and then she was off by 10 because it was like a Disney show. It is funny that her and Nick Jonas were not together during the tour that they did together. Well, they broke up during the tour, mm. which I think is especially interesting because it's like, wow, you guys finally have unlimited time together and it turns out you don't like each other that much, it seems. Or something happened. I don't know what. I won't speculate, but I will. She goes on to be like, I love him no matter what. We just moved on. At least I got some good songs out of him. Now she's done her second tour, her first highlining tour. She's going into season three of the Hannah Montana show. But first... The movie... So they go back and film the movie in Tennessee, which she says was the most relaxing time of her life. She was so happy to go back. And she goes, even though we were filming a full-fledged movie, this was the easiest my schedule had ever been because I got to live at home with my parents. That sounds nice. She got to be back at the farm. And let's circle back on some of her show relationships as well. She says she got along so well with everyone in the cast except Emily. That's Emily Osment of Haley Joel Osment fame. She was his little sister. She is originally from LA. And so she grew up in like child acting home. She says, Emily and I tried to be friends and we really did, but it always ended in a fight. We were just so different. She's from LA. I'm from the South. She's opinionated. I'm not opinionated. She's super smart. I felt dumb. There was competition between us girls. Girls struggle with that. And we were no exception. I didn't do much to fix it. I mean, I wanted to, but I never had any idea how to go about fixing it. I never got along with girls as well as I did with guys. I think this is a really interesting concept that she mentions a few times in this book, the way she and Emily didn't quite get along swimmingly, because the way she talks about it is that exact same eating disorder, problematic but shiny, 
where she's like, I do have these problems. Not everything is perfect, but she never says anything bad about Emily. It's never overly dramatic. She always specifies we didn't hate each other. We just didn't get along. She also says we were competitive because she was so athletic and beautiful. I mean, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there was a competition. They were both the same age and they were the two women. I wonder if the competition died because Miley had won. They had to have really not liked each other for a while. And I think they learned to get along. I think she's right about that. But I feel like for her to be mentioning that they kind of didn't get along means they like really didn't get along. I feel like she was pretty honest that they did not get along. Yeah, but I feel like it was dramatic. And she's trying to be like, it wasn't. I mean, she admits that they got into a screaming fight where people had to be like, what are you doing? Get it together. Stop. Yeah, but then she sweeps it up really quickly to be like. Not really quickly. She says three years later when they go into the third season, time passed. And now when I look at Emily, I don't feel insecure, competitive or annoyed at our differences. Instead, I see someone who has been with me through long, grueling work days and someone I can hang out with whenever there is a free moment. It was worth it. All that fighting and tolerating. I don't think I've ever really worked on a friendship before this. Maybe that is a lesson. The friendships that take the most work are the ones that can be the most rewarding. Making the movie is when they finally sort of learned to respect each other because they were just stuck on a farm. I wonder if that's even true or I wonder if like they finally learned how to stop fighting and realize that these are coworkers and you don't have to get along. After Nashville, they did hang out more, but I'm curious about that. Then Vanessa dies and then she just gets a new best friend named Mandy. Every memoir, even if it's being ghostwritten and sanitized by a major corporation like Disney, somehow these people are absolute freaks who let the weirdest shit fall through the cracks. I want to talk about the chapter called Sheba. Sheba is about a dog that her mom got for her dad one year during their anniversary. Dad loved that dog. She was the most loyal dog ever. She was with us for a long time, but unfortunately, Sheba didn't have a good end. She was bitten by a tick, got paralyzed, and then, because she couldn't move, she got hit by a car. Why was a paralyzed dog in the road? Did she get paralyzed and then immediately get hit by a car? Like, was the tick bite and the car crash sequential? I hope Or did they so. leave a paralyzed dog in the road? That's how I read it, and that made me laugh. <laughs> anyway, so a few years later, they're walking around Pasadena, and they see a homeless woman wearing a shirt that said Angel. She had a dog that looked just like her dad's dog, Sheba. Joanne said, I'm a Christian. My husband and I got divorced. I feel like I'm supposed to be here on the streets. I'm a missionary. But they asked what the dog's name was, and it was Sheba. Her parents tried to help Joanne. Joanne's like, I don't need money. I like being where I am. A few months later, there's Joanne again. And I don't know what the message is, but she's like, whenever I lose faith, I think about Joanne and how she's living her truth and her faith by being homeless. And that's honorable. And I want to be more like her. I don't know. I was just like, what is this is an insane story. And the chapter ends. Faith is a big part of my family. I love that Hannah Montana is a sweet, good quality show that brings joy to people's lives. As I start doing more grown up dramatic projects, I want to stick with what I believe in, what makes sense for a girl my age. I want to be a good role model. That's why I signed on to work with the writer Nicholas Sparks. His books and movies show strong morals and loving, hard relationships. I can do meaningful work without compromising my values. This is one of the things that like frustrated me about the narrative that they push about Miley. This hardcore Christian girl, she has this one line that obviously I don't hold against Miley. I know she didn't write this, but she talks about her family and how Christian and good and honorable and moral they are. She says when Brandy's boyfriend, who she plans to marry, Brandy's her older sister who is not currently married. When Brandy's boyfriend, whom she plans to marry, comes to visit, he'll often stay for a week. Every night at 11, they go to their separate rooms. My parents aren't even telling Brandy to do that. She does it because she respects herself that much and I'm just like oh that like grosses me out that like I respect myself so much I won't fuck my boyfriend in front of my parents ew no I know I'm kidding then she goes on to say when I got old enough and there were boys in the picture I asked if it was time for me to get my own ring my mom gave me one that has circle on it to represent the circle of marriage there's a little diamond in the center of the circle for me and when I get married there will be another diamond added but until then it's just me and that feels right 
The press likes to make fun of people for wearing purity rings, but I don't pay attention to that. They can think what they want. I have my morals. I also bring faith to my career choices. And then she goes on to talk about Nicholas Sparks. I also want to say that I kind of admire the way that she has stepped away from this image so hard because to publicly have worn a purity ring and to make such a stink about being a teenage virgin, which you're allowed to be, but to have been so adamant in the press about being a virgin, it is hard to then not be. People get really mad about it. Okay, is it time for my I hate virgins spiel? I think it's really disgusting to make teenagers, specifically public teenagers, make public pledges of purity. Me too. I think it is really disgusting for anybody besides like the immediate people involved and like close family to talk about whether or not a minor is having sex. I think to make a teenager go out there, even though they're not a sex symbol in like the sex positive way, you're still surrounding yourself with a conversation of sex. And I do not think it is healthy for anybody that is underage to have strangers know about what you are or not doing sex wise. Well, I want to extend it beyond minors. I just don't think it's anybody's business. And I feel like it's a weird, we talk about this with the bachelor all the time. Like it's fucking weird when someone's identity is someone who's not having sex. Being a publicly anointed virgin is so much more sexual than being (laughs) publicly someone no one really knows the last time they had sex. Like, Yeah, it's like very weird to make that your thing. And also, I don't know if you guys heard our Patreon on the Demi Lovato documentary, but they talk about how Disney made them wear a purity ring. And then they were raped by another Disney star. And when Demi went to Disney to tell them what had happened, they were like, keep it quiet. You're a virgin. The last thing we need is people knowing that you had sex. And they had been assaulted. I just think it's really sick that... That they protect abusers because they care more about that than if their own stars are safe. If their own kids are safe, these kids that they've thrust into the spotlight, that they're making bazillions of dollars off of honestly sexualizing these kids. They make them hot on TV and then they say, but they're not having sex. And that is another way of discussing a teenager's sexuality. And like no adult should be talking about any teenagers having sex. I really believe that. But in a broader sense, again, I just don't think anyone should be talking about who is or isn't having sex. It's literally nobody's business. My 21-year-old sister respects herself and she has her morals and I have my morals and that's why I wear my purity ring. And I don't like care whoever people- wrote that is sick in the fucking head. I think that to be a child star who breaks away from that image is so hard because they've very purposefully angled you towards middle America Christians. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of abandon them, that's why they get so mad because you've been put on a silver platter in front of their face and they've said, this is your icon. They believe all the things you believe. And when that person is just like, no, I actually don't believe the things you believe. They fucking riot. The concept of a child having an identity that's related to whether or not they are having sex in either direction is really gross. Yeah. It ends with a chapter called The Happiest Place on Earth, which I really think is an interesting way to end it. It's about her 16th birthday party and how on her 16th birthday party, they closed down Disney World And 5,000 people were allowed to buy $250 tickets to come celebrate Miley's birthday with her, where she performed and all the money went to a charity. And she keeps saying, it may be weird that I'm celebrating my 16th birthday with strangers or that they're paying to come see me or that I'm performing on my own birthday, but I love it. And it is so great. And I'm so lucky to be worked to the bone and have no say in my career. She does have a couple of moments where she's like, I'm not in the conversation with the execs, but at least I get to write my own music or yeah. it may be weird to you that I am working on my birthday, but I like giving back. <laughs> and I do think those are slight insights into exactly the things she fought against to become the Miley of today. Yeah. She has a couple moments where she talks about the work she does to give back and how important that is to her. And I do believe that that's important to her. I think that the point of this book is to be like, Miley is thoughtful and grateful above everything. This whole thing of like, is this teenager who was blasted to fame 
is she like full of herself? And this book is like, no, she's not. She's a regular girl who loves just hanging out with her friends and her family. And her brother bullies her and she still babysits her little sister. And she's just here because she loves it. She has a chapter about how she can't even touch the money she makes. And she's really just here for the artistry of being an actor-songwriter. Overall, I think that the only thing damaging about this book for her was the way that it further shoved her into this purity corner Mm -hmm. that she then had to like rail against later in her career. Anyway, Ashley, final thoughts? My final thoughts are that this book, while surprisingly well put together for something that made no sense, did kind of bum me out because I think there were passages that really stood out. But overall, I was like, damn, this girl was controlled to all hell. And I'm so glad that she couldn't be tamed. Claire, what are your final thoughts? It's interesting looking at someone like Miley versus somebody like Jodie Sweetin or Melissa Joan Hart and seeing the difference between being a child star and being a real star was that Miley had a charisma. There's a lot of that in here that she was the most chatty one. She just showed up and she did so well on her sent in tapes. I do believe that she, even if she had been bored to regular parents, I do like believe she was meant to be a star. Me too. But I also think that her parents actually loved her. And I do think that if she had said, I want to stop, they would have stopped. She wasn't funding them. They had money. They were fine. Plus they had that metro station money. Shake It was so important. This week on the Patreon, we have Troy from the Dunzo podcast and Behind the Blinds podcast. He's going to come on our Patreon and we're going to actually do a true deep dive. We're going to do the unauthorized biography of Miley Cyrus. Look at her life as a child into her later years. The things she said about Hannah Montana, because I know recently she has come out against it and said it was a horrible experience. Yeah. Which is funny because in this book, she specifically says, so far, it's been the greatest experience of all time and I've had nothing but fun. I forgot that she came out against Hannah Montana. I wonder when that became true for her. I wonder if she was lying or if just one day she woke up and said, oh, what I thought was normal was not normal. So I'm so excited. We'll see you guys on the Patreon. Thank you for listening. We love you all so much and stay tuned. Before we go, Ashley, do you want to thank all of our five-star reviewers? You fucking know I do. Thank you so much to Glitter Iris, the shiniest bitch I know, Olive the Orange, Go Syracuse Baby, Bummed Dinstasaur, I hope you cheer up soon, Nori Blah, I hope you're not feeling blah for that much longer, Worm Nikki, hell yeah, Squirmy Nation, Gid Sid, thank you for your review, Marge4272, thank you for being Margin in Charge, Alice W27, thank you for giving us these 27 stars, Wormy Valerie, oh my god, I love these squirmy vibes, Bape God, thank you for lording over us, Manders1214, oh my god, are you Miley's best friend? Poor Paris Hilton, I wish you all the motherfucking riches. Han LeBron, oh my god, your height astounds me. Maggie Lie 2771 to me, you're the truth. Reba52, my favorite singer of all time. Colleen T. Ken, thank you for giving us all you can. MUA Manda13, thank you for your beautiful makeup looks. Mrs. Pugsley, I hope you're having a Bones Day. Cocosaurus, thank you for being such a delicious dinosaur. JT Mango 18, the fruit of the century. Allison Brie Larson, thank you for being a beautiful actor and a beautiful cheese. Carmen F13, thank you for your carms. KTC, 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 I appreciate you. M. Pollock Boo. Thank you so much for being our boo. Naj8890, thank you for bringing such beautiful numbers. KT Lemma, let me just say thank you. 
S-C-H-B-D-F-H emojis. Thank you for these bursts of emoji. Vincent, the creator, I love you for creating this review. Lady Swamp Witch, oh my God, you come from the most beautiful swamp. King Meredith, I bow down to you. Bessick Tosley, 19040, thank you for your beautiful review. O.T. McLellan, thanks for your fresh scotch. Holly G1317, thanks for being a G. Mads 17 pound, pound it, baby. One, two, three, I am tree. Four, five, six, you're the best sticks. And Robson, thank you for not robbing us of a beautiful review. One, four, three, Cody smiley face, you bring me a smiley face. And thank you guys for the five star reviews. I'm so happy you're here and I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>